0: So we start, once again, I'm going to add a little buffer here for the theme song that will <laughs> clearly be here by the time this episode comes out.
1: But of course, genius and, takes time.
0: And then another plea for anyone, anyone who wants to make a theme song, just go ahead.
1: You're not going to sing for <laughs> us today? No, not today. <laughs> Alas.
0: All right, so then, wow, wasn't that a good theme song? That was great.
1: <laughs> Stupendous. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Oh, Okay, next up, phone check.
1: My, uh, my phone is turned off. Ah, that works. <laughs> this time.
0: With a nuclear option.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just to be on the safe side.
0: <laughs> Alright, welcome to Vertigo Voices. I'm Colby. I'm Sophia. We're going to be talking about all things Vertigo Comics.
1: Welcome, welcome.
0: The best comics ever.
1: We will hold no argument to that.
0: Okay, so... Uh, First up, I got some news. The the segment that's called News, News, (laughs) News. Okay, uh, so first thing, um, for some reason, there has been recent revived talks of a Constantine
1: sequel. Really? Yeah,
0: but here's the thing. This isn't like I've seen probably four or five articles about this over the last week of like, there's a new Constantine sequel happening, and the source for one of them is Peter Stormare, who. I don't know. I don't know if he posted a picture or a comment or something. It was just like, yeah, I, I hear maybe they're going to do another Constantine. So woohoo, sign me up. Okay. Like, that's, not, that's not a fucking story. That's not like, – yeah. of everyone involved in that project, he probably has the least involvement. So, yeah, you know, cool. It's cool that he'd like to be in it. But, <laughs> and then I think another one was maybe Keanu Reeves said something like, yeah, you know, I, I hear talk about it. Well, yeah, there's been talk about it for 15 years, but that doesn't mean it's happening.
1: Right, right. So we have some celebrity comments. Yeah,
0: but again, the internet's been in a goddamn tizzy over it. oh, you constantly It's not... Uh, don't, don't get your hopes up. It's this similar... Well, not similar, because this was actually official. Do you remember, like, like two or three years ago? It actually might have been three years ago now. Um, Ava DuVernay was announced that she was doing a new gods movie for dc i
1: remember that she knows
0: like new gods movie and the internet went fucking crazy like oh my god i can't wait to see this like they acted like it was coming out like the next week Mm -hmm. and i like i remember posting on twitter at the time like guys like pump the brakes here this is a really difficult property to adapt you know like fucking space gods and uh all those weird kirby ideas Uh, That combined with a studio that has absolutely no idea what they're doing at any given moment, and a director who's never really done, well, I guess at that time she'd done Regal in Time. So I take that back. I was going to say a director who's never done, like, heady sci-fi, but she has. (laughs) So everyone was like, oh, that's fucking going to happen. Well, as far as I know, they're still hammering out the script, like, three years later. So I still don't have too much hope that that movie's ever going to (laughs) happen. And it's kind of like Constantine, you know, everyone got all excited over this and, like, Let's, let's be a little realistic here, guys. So, I don't know, whatever. I seriously doubt we're going to see a Constantine 2 with uh, Keanu Reeves.
1: And, you know, not to, not to uh, be cruel, but I wouldn't be super disappointed about that. Yeah, exactly. And
0: I, <laughs> I really like Keanu Reeves, and I especially like his recent output of stuff. And I feel like were he to make a sequel now, it would feel a lot different than that original movie. Right. And in fact, now I think he'd probably be a decent age and a decent mindset for that character, um, like you know, kind of a, a grizzled, old asshole, I guess. You know? <laughs> Whereas in the original one, I, I felt I don't know, I felt like he was a little too young for the version of the character they were going for, even though he was like forty.
1: Was, was he feeling, yeah. really? Yeah. <laughs> He's he's just one of those people that seems to almost age backwards.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But I don't know. It's not the worst idea in the world. I just, A, don't think it's going to happen, and B, uh, don't really want it to. (laughs) Right,
1: right. Some things are just best left alone into speculation. Especially
0: since the character has had a lot of success on television lately with Matt Ryan. And I, I think I mentioned this before, but Matt Ryan has played Constantine in something every year for the last i think 6 years <laughs> like he was on the tv show Constantine he was in an animated movie he was in two animated justice league dark movies and now he's a regular on legends of tomorrow oh and he was on arrow <laughs> so i don't i don't see that as changing and that version of the character has been embraced by fans a hell of a lot more than keanu's version and and again that 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 movie is still Weirdly well regarded, but not by like the fandom as a whole, you know, there's like a weird subset of fans that really like it. So I don't know, whatever. I'm tired of talking about it now. Uh (laughs) But speaking of Ava DuVernay, uh, she has just gotten a green light to move forward with a TV series based on DMZ.
1: Really? Yeah. Oh, that makes me excited.
0: Yeah. So it's going to be HBO Max. DMZ was written by Brian Wood with art by Riccardo Bercielli, I think. That's how I (laughs) pronounce it. But uh, uh, anyway, so that's HBO Max initially ordered a pilot a few months ago, and then they just came back and said that they were ordering it straight to series. So uh, DuVernay is going to be the executive producer, and she's also directing the pilot. It's going to star Rosario Dawson as the oh, main right. character, who I've never read DMZ, so...
1: <laughs> I th- I, well, it's been a long time. The main character, I believe, is, is a guy, but that's if they make it Rosario Dawson, that's a beautiful thing.
0: Yeah. I don't know. I don't know anything about it, but uh, it sounds interesting, and I think HBO Max would be a good home for a show like that, because um, I, I know very little about DMZ, but I've, it's one of those books I've always wanted to read. I think I actually have a couple issues of it, but never read them. So. <laughs> Maybe they'll get me into it.
1: It's great. I look forward to hearing what you have to say about that.
0: And then the last bit of news. Um, Neil Gaiman has continued posting updates about the Sandman TV series. Um, he said he just watched them film the scene where Dream is summoned and got to see him in the whole costume and everything. And he said that he's watching dailies every morning. Uh, oh, and he also, he had a really good uh, had a he had a really interesting comment about this take on the Sandman. And he said that he spent literally decades looking at scripts and listening to directors and producers and studios talk about adapting Sandman. And he said he's seen just completely terrible takes on the source material. And he's seen really, really good takes that just weren't Sandman. And he said uh, over all those years, he said this is, the best he's seen, like the best take that he's seen. And he also said that more than once while they were workshopping or talking through a scene or working on something, they would try to get away from the source material and create like a new take on whatever story point and he said most of the time it was really good but a lot of the times they ended up by like saying like this isn't working let's just go back to the comic Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he said that made him feel really good that this like uh you know 30 year old thing that he created is still being like no that's that's the best way to do it let's just go back to that
1: (laughs) that's exciting yeah he's doing a lot of teasing here exactly We all have very high hopes, Neil. We love you.
0: Yeah. A lot of teasing, and we still don't know the cast.
1: Right, right.
0: And, I mean, they're all locked in and filming, so uh, it's weird that there's hasn't been any announcements yet. The only two reasons I can think of is that, A, it's a cast of complete unknowns, that it doesn't matter if you know their name or not, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing is that it would be a really divisive cast.
1: That's... Definitely, yeah. definitely. If it's if it's well known actors and whatnot, everyone has their take on how that should go down.
0: What does The Rock play, Dream?
1: <laughs> yeah, I could I could see some uh, internet righteousness brewing up around that. Cool. <laughs> Fingers crossed.
0: Yeah, I, I have high hopes for that. Probably more high hopes than any other Vertigo adaptation. And I mean, a it's, it's the fucking Sandman, you know that's. Like, I, I mentioned a few days ago about how Neil Gaiman's, like, kind of the patron saint of Vertigo Comics. Well, Sandman is, like, the flagship. You know, that's the book that you point at when you talk about Vertigo Comics, you know? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. everything else is kind of in the shadow of Sandman. Right. Oh. And, fuck, it's a, it's a comic series that's still going. Like, there's the whole Sandman universe subline in DC now that's got the dreaming and... Uh, House of Whispers and Books of Magic. And then uh, Hellblazer. The new Hellblazer actually just ended its run. Oh. Only lasted 12 issues.
1: <laughs> well, do you have thoughts about that?
0: About the book?
1: Yeah. I, okay. I like it. Run. I haven't
0: read all. Oh, I don't think I've read the last oh two or three issues, but I really liked it so far. It's. I think I mentioned this when we first talked about it. Maybe. I don't know. It is sort of a sequel to the original series and it's also it's also a direct sequel to the original books of magic mm-hmm. and then it also has a new version of john constantine it's really weird it's like a it's it's like a whole multiverse like john traveling the multiverse meeting other versions of himself
1: sounds like it works though
0: yeah. yeah i like it and and it's a it's a good like fresh start that also respects the past stories it's like uh like 2009 star trek You know, like a new universe with new versions of these characters, but it's unequivocally tied to the original. So anyway, I liked it. I think it's the best modern Hellblazer take. It's a hell of a lot better than the Rebirth or New 52 versions.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They got something back on track then.
0: And I didn't even hate the Rebirth version. I just just hated that it wasn't a Vertigo book. Mm -hmm. I remember picking up the first issue, because I read... No, I guess it was the New 52 Constantine book. I read that one, and I picked it up, and on, like, the first page is a scene where Constantine swears, and he says fuck or something, and they, like, blur it out. You know, they just put, like, X's over it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, ah, I can't do this, guys. I can't do this at all.
1: <laughs> Not a good sign.
0: <laughs> I hate censored swearing in a book where a character should be swearing, you know? Like, if, if having him say fuck is so important, then have him say it. Right, Or just don't. Have him say sodding. He said that for 10 years in the comic.
1: <laughs> that gets the point across, too. Yeah. yeah. There are some characters you can do that with.
0: So just like, yeah, there was just a lack of imagination with that New 52 version. And the Rebirth one was a little better, but like I, I enjoyed it in that it brought back some characters and tropes from the original run on Hellblazer. Like, it brought back the character Zed, who was important in John's early life, and then a few other things. But it was still just watered down, like... It was essentially a sequel to the New Fifty Two Run, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I'm done with that. Not, not talking about that
1: anymore.
0: <laughs> it's not Vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: that's a good bout of news. There, we are caught up.
0: Um. Anything else? Like, have you you know any news?
1: God, this past couple of weeks, it's been all elections, all COVID. No, so bad. I actually look to you for <laughs> to keep me pop culture current.
0: <laughs> I guess there was some Snyder cut news, oh. but <laughs> I just I didn't want to bring it up. But it's kind of like it's short. So you know how seventy million dollars reshoots, all that shit. Zack Snyder has said that that seventy million dollars and however many days of reshoots equals four minutes of screen time.
1: <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> oh boy
0: four fucking minutes that's what we're spending our our money on or the studio's money on
1: expect like like you said especially in this time when there are so many films that are having an even harder time getting off the yeah. ground because of the pandemic this is like this is like a cinematic equivalent i'm going to share another bad metaphor here <laughs> With that one woman who, like, goes to the spa and spends $800, then comes back to the PTO meeting and talks about what an inconvenience this whole thing is. Yeah. It's like, stop. Just stop.
0: (laughs) And, yeah, and it's just, especially when, I mean, D.C. just went through massive layoffs, how many jobs could have been saved with that $70 million, you know? For four minutes. Yeah, exactly. And so, I don't know, it's just, it's just such a weird vanity project that they're just dumping money into, and it's not, it, this movie's already a failure. Like, the original <laughs> already lost them money. Why are they dumping more money? And it's it's going it's going to HBO Max. This isn't going to generate revenue for them. People, right. people that subscribe to HBO Max, like, you're not going to see a huge wave of subscriptions enough to justify this.
1: Right. <laughs> it's not like, um, oh, who, uh, uh, Tim Pope, the guy who directed uh, The Crow City of Angels too, and, you know, the cinematic... Right. Stories that have been told that somewhere out there is his version, which is a great supposedly a great sequel to the Crow. It's like no, you guys, this is not it. We know that Justice League already sucks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's now four minutes that's going to resuscitate that. Yeah,
0: and I, I, there's uh, he also posted a picture of Joe Manganiello on set again as Deathstroke, which I don't know. It's all in black and white, and he released a new trailer. It was all in black and Another? white. It's just, so here's the thing. <laughs> do you remember when the original trailer came out with Hallelujah? And all that? Yes. That actually had to be taken down because WB did not have the rights for Hallelujah.
1: <laughs> How dare you guys? Exactly. I love Leonard Cohen. Don't do him like that.
0: <laughs> so then they secured the rights, re-released the trailer, but this time in black and white. Mm-hmm. Because I'm pretty sure Zack Snyder is colorblind.
1: You know, that makes a lot of sense. That's the
0: only thing I can think
1: of for why he wants to wash
0: out. Like, these are fucking superheroes with the most colorful, colorful costumes in the world. And at best, he gives them a sepia tone. And at worst, black and white, you know? Yeah. Oh, dear,
1: oh, dear. Goodness gracious. And this makes
0: Watchmen look like a Technicolor production. Like, that, oh. that movie at least had color. Yeah, that,
1: that looks like a Rogers and Hammerstein musical yeah. in comparison. Wow.
0: But, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, the, the more I hear about Zack Snyder, the more he frustrates me. Yes. And especially for, from a filmmaker. I guess that's why it annoys me so much, is because years ago I thought he was, like, the coolest up-and-coming director. You know, he did Dawn of the Dead, which I fucking hate remakes, and I really liked that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he did 300, which I remember at the time, that was, like, 2006, I think, and just thinking, like, wow, it's, like, a real-life graphic novel on screen like this was in the wake of sin city It's like this is, what, this is what it's gonna be like from now on like we're just gonna literally see comics on screen and after that he did watchmen which i also really enjoyed and then it's just been like steadily downhill from there i remember when sucker punch came out and i was like is are people really like are people really liking this <laughs> <laughs> for real like this is literally a teenager's doodles in a notebook like the back of science class into life yeah
1: <laughs> this is how like a 14 year old boy imagines his crush you yeah know? <laughs> exactly
0: and it just felt like the like dreaming within dreaming and like all that I felt like that movie was thought that it was something bigger than it was you know and right I was like, this is gonna be fucking game changing dude like can you believe that she was dreaming it the whole time like, <laughs> yeah I seen the twilight zone I don't know what to tell you I, <laughs> <Yeah>. fucking
1: hell <laughs> not as groundbreaking as you think but no, you uh, you hit the nail on the head, and that that is the most disappointing thing about it. Because to people listening out there, if you are, and you're a big Zack Snyder fan, it's not that Zack Snyder is a bad filmmaker. Far from it. It's just really odd and strange that this is where he's decided to invest his creativity. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I yeah, I've got. I've got a theory about this situation too that I hesitate to talk about on the air, but (laughs) maybe we'll talk about it when when we're done. (laughs) Okay,
1: all right, I'll hold you to that.
0: (laughs) So, with that tease that you at home will never hear, um, should we go into the actual book for today? Forward, how? All right, we are talking about *The Nobody* by Jeff Lemire. This came out in 2009, I think. I believe so. A nice hardcover edition. It is beautiful. So, you you said that you've never read any Jeff Lemire before?
1: No, I mean I've heard of Sweet Tooth and yeah. Black Hammer and whatnot, but I just haven't got around to it yet. Yeah. He
0: so this this came out in two thousand nine. He when did? I think Sweet Tooth was around the same time. Maybe it was two thousand eight. I don't know. I just remember when Sweet Tooth started, and he was this like rock star just blowing onto the scene. Nobody had ever heard of Jeff Lemire. And I remember seeing the cover of Sweet Tooth Number no. One in the shops, and it was a dollar.
1: Really? Yeah, just I, a dollar. Yeah,
0: and because it was Vertigo did this number ones for a dollar kind of thing at the time. I think maybe there's just a couple books doing that, but regardless, I so I snapped it up, and I remember reading it. and He he's got one of the most distinctive art styles I've ever seen, and I just remember completely being blown away by that because so much of comics today. Of the line work and the character design and all that, so much of it owes a lot to either Jack Kirby or like Joe Simon um, or Steve Ditko, like the old classics. And to see somebody like this that's got a style that doesn't appear to be drawn from any of those. Right. He's got a completely unique, weird, grotesque, almost cartoonish look to the world and the characters. And I don't know, that just completely blew me away when when I first got it.
1: When did you come to the Nobody?
0: I first read it, oh, geez. It was new. I think I read it in, like, early 2010. I remember my, my friend Bear, actually, this copy that I own is his. <laughs> he, <laughs> he bought this from the comic book shop in town, read it, and he let me read it, and uh, then he just had it on a shelf. And then a few weeks ago, he was like, hey, I'm getting rid of a bunch of Vertigo comics. You want any? I was like, fuck yeah, I do. <laughs> I went around, this is one of the ones I grabbed. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs>
1: Oh, the cover is great. I really dig the cover. I would like that in poster form on my wall. So in
0: lieu of asking you about a book report, I'm going to just say, uh, this is The Invisible Man.
1: There you go. Like, that's, yeah. The story
0: is The Invisible Man.
1: <laughs> it is. Updated to the 20th century.
0: And when I first read it, so I've, I mentioned and during the League that I'm a huge Invisible Man fan. I've read the Wells novel a couple times, and seen the movies and blah, blah, blah. And I remember the first time I read this, I didn't know anything about it. I just knew the cover. It looks like uh, Negative Man from the Doom Patrol on the cover there. Since Doom Patrol was a Vertigo book, I thought maybe this was a uh, side story to that. Maybe it was about a burned guy. Like, I didn't know anything about it. So I opened it up, and at the very beginning, they say that the character's name is Griffin. And I was like, wait a second. (laughs) And they say that it's like Wells County, I think. Mm-hmm. And then uh, after a few minutes, like, this is just The Invisible Man. And that fucking pissed me off for some reason. Really? I was like, God damn it. Like, I don't want to read The Invisible Man again. I want to read a new book. <laughs> and I remember complaining to Bear, like, I like Lemire so much. I don't want to read his take on a story I've already read. I want to read something new from him. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, and I finished it and I was just like irritated by the end. And then when I reread it, just not too long ago, I actually liked it a hell of a lot more. <laughs> Once I got over that, I, I, knowing that it's an adaptation of The Invisible Man would help.
1: Yeah, I, I was wondering about that too, then that um, if I had never read The Invisible Man, if I had never seen the 1933 movie, what kind of impression would this leave on me? Do you think you have to be familiar with The Invisible Man to come to this book?
0: I don't know. I mean, I i think probably just knowing some of the iconography of the story, I'd Dude wrapped in bandages who is invisible. <laughs> I think knowing that would probably help. But I think, like me, having a beat-by-beat knowledge of that story doesn't help. You know? mm-hmm. Because, again, that's probably my favorite of the Victorian adventure fiction stories. And so to have such a connection to that story for me and then to read this, I'm like, well, this isn't that fucking, like, it's trying to be that story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So I think there's a tension between having no knowledge and too much knowledge. Mm-hmm. And just meeting in the middle to enjoy this.
1: Okay. That's
0: but fair. I, again, the second time I read it, I liked it a hell of a lot more. Like I really enjoyed it. I liked the characters. I liked this weird little friendship with the the girl that becomes like kind of obsessed with him. Yeah. And the uh, Mr. Marvel and his dog and all that. You know, I I thought it was a really cool it felt like Lemire taking the character of the Invisible Man and plunking him down into one of his stories, like Underwater Welder or uh, Essex County.
1: Okay. And since I haven't read either of those from what you've said, he does have a very good grasp of small-town life, supposedly. Yeah. What did you think of the art? I'm curious, too.
0: Well, it's, it's Lemire kind of stripped down. She's black and white with blue. Mm. Like the shadows are all blue, so it, it looks like almost unfinished line art you know what i mean it
1: does kind Cause of because i've
0: got i don't know if you can see it i've got a picture on my wall over there of a the, of the justice league 1997 tv series cast Oh ooh, <laughs> my friend drew <laughs> and it's all black and white but with blue you know because it's unfinished and that's what this reminds me of i don't know it's fine um i really i i, I mentioned i really like LaMire's character work but seeing his stuff in Sweet Tooth where it's fully colored, I like
1: that a hell of a lot more. (laughs) More vibrant.
0: But also Essex County line is all black and white, and that looks good too. I don't know.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, uh, what I appreciated about it is, like you mentioned earlier, I don't want to come off too harsh because I can't draw for shit, and -hmm. there's a lot of newer comic books out that I really appreciate the story, Um, but there's also a lot of comic books that have this kind of unfinished line work where... Uh, you look at the panel, and the movement just doesn't make sense necessarily. Mm-hmm. Like your eye doesn't know where to track because uh, it's not just that it looks unfinished. It's like the artist didn't know where to go or how to uh, make the energy flow on yeah, that page. I so guess like a lack of flow. Yeah, lack of flow, exactly. And uh, even though a lot of the artwork in this. Is, but, like you said, it looks like unfinished line work. He doesn't have that problem.
0: Yeah. I like that his, his work uh, is usually told in, like, vignette. Like, mm-hmm. it's scene to scene. And there's a lot of quiet in there. Like, a lot of scenes without dialogue. You don't hear what the character is saying, or you don't hear what they're thinking, whatever, but you feel it. There's a lot of emotion in his art and his setting, like mise-en-scene, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like that, and I think that comes across really well in this. And again, that's the kind of thing that I noticed way more in my second reading when I was over my disgust for the fact that it was an Invisible Man story. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: that's, that's fair. That's fair. So, yes, what do you think of... I, I said 20th century earlier. No, that's not accurate. The 21st century, Bring the story into the 21st oh. century. So on, on that, what do you think of kind of the mysterious background that he gives Griffin? Yeah.
0: Well, that's one thing I was going to ask is just the ending. The ending is so ambiguous.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like, was he even invisible? <laughs> is this even an invisible man story? Is it, or is it a story about somebody suffering like severe delusions? Maybe. Is Kemp real? <laughs> is his <laughs> mysterious backstory with his lover real? Because he has this whole, like, he ha- constantly seeing these flashes of a woman in his past that's implied is dead, or that he killed, or that the serum made him kill, and all of that is never, uh, it's never solidified, you know, you never see the, re- the true story, you only see his flashings or hear his discussions of it, and I, that's one of the things I was wondering, like, is, so is, is he even really invisible?
1: That's a good question. Because <laughs> uh, obviously, he takes medication for something, and it's implied that he takes medication to keep f- from acting on violent or impulsive tendencies. Mm-hmm. So, was that something he was taking before he yeah. you know, became invisible, before he was experimenting on himself? Or, yeah, there are a lot of questions. And, well,
0: that, and that's something, too, that could be, again, bringing the knowledge of the story, of the original story, uh, with the reader. Because in the original story, the invisible formula turns Griffin, like, crazy. I mean, he was already an asshole, but that, like, turned him into just a a cold-blooded killer. And, like, a psychopath, basically. And so knowing that, reading it, my mind was putting that together. Like, oh, that's because it's The Invisible Man. Like, the invisible formula made him go crazy, and that's why he has to even out his mood. But I don't know that they ever actually say that
1: in here. They don't.
0: And so the more I think about it, the more I'm like, well, maybe foreknowledge does help with this but just not to the extent that I had, you know, <laughs> just getting over that and, and letting the story play with your expectations.
1: Mm-hmm. And that's a, you know, and now that we're talking about this, that makes me wonder now, like you said, is Kemp real or is he Kemp? And uh, did he really throw his body in the lake that night yeah. or was that guy just watching him be crazy? Yeah.
0: You know? And one another thing. Um, so Griffin is the main character which is the same as the Invisible Man novel. Kemp is also a character in the novel, as is a few other random townsfolk. But um, in this, they give Griffin the first name of John.
1: Mm -hmm. And also,
0: Kemp has the same first name. His first name is
1: John in this also. I didn't notice. So they're
0: both John, so yeah, they could be the same person. Mm -hmm. (laughs) They both end the same way. They both end up in the lake.
1: They do. So, yeah, who knows? Maybe. Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe. I, I like that. It leaves it pretty open-ended.
0: So, so yeah, that, and that's the kind of shit that I noticed this time through. And I'm glad that I gave it a reread. Let myself enjoy it this time. <laughs> <laughs> it is
1: it, it is an enjoyable book. There was, I don't know, maybe the the only complaint I have, and it's a very small one, is that from reading the inside of the jacket, I got the impression that maybe it was going to be a little bit more about the sordid secrets that small towns keep. Oh, yeah. Um, But it's really not.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's kind of, they go into a little bit about the the townsfolk, like, thinking that he's keeping some evil secret and wanting to dig into it, and I get that, but, I, but that's also a big part of Essex County,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think that was probably just some creative marketing, trying to, like, tie them together. <laughs>
1: probably, yeah, yeah.
0: I feel bad for, like, trash-talking it for the last ten years.
1: <laughs> well, <you laughs> I, mean, I
0: didn't really do that, but whatever. <laughs> like, I was just... this about, this is To me, this has always been, like, lesser Lemire. Mm-hmm. I really like Sweet Tooth. I really liked Essex County and Trillium and Trillium. What was it called? Trillium or Trillium? Trillium. Trillium. You heard it here first. <laughs> yeah, Trillium is a really cool... Um, has, has a really cool style. Like, you get to see his art... Bumped up to like a million because it's this crazy sci-fi story, and it's told in two two halves that then come together in the middle. It's really hard to describe <laughs> because it's set in two different time periods. Like looking at pictures of it, some of the art is upside down, and uh, right. yeah, that's huh. not that's not a that's not a mistake. That's the way it is. <laughs>
1: It's not necessarily telling it in sequential order, it just brings kind of these different events together and the...
0: Well, it is It is in a sequential order, it's just two different time periods, and I don't know, it's hard to describe without just reading it, so Okay. we'll have to get to that one eventually.
1: No, that artwork is gorgeous. I really like that. I forgot he did Animal Man.
0: He did the New 52 Animal Man.
1: Oh, how did that go? Did you read it?
0: I, I read the first few issues, I was just over the new 52 when it came out. <laughs> it was probably fine. I, I remember the f- early days of the new 52, there was really no direction. Mm-hmm. It was just, it kind of a reboot and kind of not, I don't know. Because there's a scene in Animal Man where he talks to Superman... And he says something like, oh, yeah, you know, in the old universe, you know, things were like this. And at least my family's still together and blah, blah, blah. And Superman's like, yeah, that's weird that the universe got recreated. Oh, well, see you later. You know? <laughs> and then after that, like in other stories, that's not addressed. Like nobody knows that the universe was recreated. And it was, it's just one of those early weirdness. Like, if anyone would know that the universe was recreated, it would be Buddy Baker, Animal Man, because he has an awareness of the fact that he's a comic book character. So that, that was, that was like an interesting take, but they didn't really do a whole lot with it. And then the fact that he just so nonchalantly was talking about that with Superman. It's like, that's fucking weird. I don't like this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no. Yeah, I almost feel sorry for the new 52. I mean, I talk a lot of shit about it, but it's just because I tried to get into it. And the ones that I tried to get into, I was like, these are bad. These are awful. So there could be some good
0: ones out there. I don't feel bad at all because (laughs) I read a lot of them and I did not like many. I I remember specifically reading Suicide Squad and being like so excited for a new take on the squad and reading that and getting to the end of the first issue where they introduce Waller, Mm -hmm. Amanda Waller, who for years in comics was this powerful, obese black woman and getting to the end of the first issue where they show off Waller, and she looks like that.
1: <laughs> oh yeah,
0: <laughs> like she looks like she looks like Vixen, the comic book yeah. character, um, just svelte and sexy and sporting pistols and blah. And I, I got to that point, and I was like, fuck this. Right,
1: yeah. All of a sudden, she's every generic hot girl in exactly. comics.
0: That's Waller right there.
1: Yes, that like, is. And
0: so there's a classic cover of one of Ostrander's uh, Suicide Squad uh, stories where Waller is has Batman backed up against the wall with her finger out, like, pointing at him. So threatening. And Batman looks scared as shit. He does. <laughs> and I love that. That's one of my favorite comic book covers of all time. Because um, it it so perfectly portrays the power of Amanda Waller. She's somebody that can make Batman, you know, piss his blue shorts. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, yeah. It's It's not... It's not uh, what she looks like or her superpowers. It's just her immense connections and intellect. So I can see how that would be disappointing.
0: The page that I found this on is uh, is called, Can We All Agree That Fat Amanda Waller Is the Best Amanda Waller?
1: I think we should. Yeah, Yeah, I think we can. Agreed. (laughs) Agreed.
0: And I really like seeing that version of the character adapted, too. Like, she was on Justice League, the animated series. She had quite a few appearances on that show. That even tied her story in with Batman Beyond. Oh. And then she was also in, oh, what's that movie called? Uh, Superman and Batman Public Enemies. And, and she's also in some of the Arkham games. And in all those appearances, she's voiced by C.C.H. Pounder.
1: Where Where have I heard that name before? She's
0: been in a lot of stuff. She's one of those actors that when you see her, you'll know she is. Her. Yes. <laughs> yes. She was an avatar. Huh? Um anyway, she like so for me like that's Amanda Waller. <laughs> yes. She'll always be Amanda Waller. Absolutely. Doesn't matter that she was played by Angela Bassett in Green Lantern or Viola Davis in Suicide Squad, CCH Pounder is always going to be Amanda Waller to me.
1: Well, I'm flashing back to uh, Face-Off. That's where I remember her from, is Face-Off. Yeah, Yeah, she was the boss in (laughs) Face-Off.
0: One thing I did... Oh, yeah, and Waller was also played by Pam Greer on Smallville. Oh. sounds was a pretty good take. But my favorite thing about Waller in Green Lantern is the costume she wears, which you briefly see, is uh, from this comic book called Checkmate which was one of my favorite comics of the mid-2000s, Waller wore this the white queen
1: uniform oh. Checkmate. And
0: I, I, I like seeing that adapted in Green Lantern. That was cool. Very <laughs> sharp. All right. Anyway, Amanda Why are we talking about Amanda Waller? <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: we were talking about Jeff Lemire's work on the New oh, 52. Fucking New 52! Damn it! I wish that
0: Suicide Squad had gotten vertigo series it would have been cool to see a really stripped down like almost like dirty dozen just no no powers just amanda waller pulling the strings of a bunch of degenerates (laughs) forcing them to go on a suicide mission
1: right it would have been a lot more investing i guess is the only word i can come up with instead of portals in the sky yeah Um, but no, there's a great shot in here. Speaking of movies and... Oh,
0: The Nobody? We're going back, we're going back to the actual book that we're supposed to be talking about? <laughs> we are.
1: We're just, just going to sidetrack here real quick. I don't quick. like that. <laughs> there is, like, the flashbacks. I love the flashbacks that intersperse what he oh, looks yeah, like yeah. now with...
0: Yeah, yeah, that was really cool.
1: And also there, um, in terms of going back to line work and finishing it and having it actually mean something oh if i can find it it's the part where griffin attacks aid the chief of police Mm -hmm. and
0: another character that's actually from the book
1: he is yeah oh here we go here we go that just it's like a it's like it reminded me a lot of the 1933 movie i don't know why but it looks like his bandages are coming undone across the page
0: bleeding off the page Yeah, it looks really cool
1: it does it does yeah, a lot of this, I don't know, I, maybe it's the nose, but there's quite a few uh, frames in this where it, it, yeah, it reminds me of the black and white movie, um, like the part where Claude Rains finally reveals himself and he pops off his prosthetic nose and tosses yeah. it at the top. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I just rewatched that movie not too long ago around, oh, for the 31 Days of Horror Movies. Um, oh. I watched it during then, and I... There's a scene where he puts on the pants and like runs through the streets with just his pants on. Mm-hmm. And there's like old woman running, screaming from him. And I, I love the sense of humor that that movie has. It's not something that you see in movies of that age. Like no. that weird, dark sense of humor.
1: <laughs> right. It's a little campy and in a totally good way.
0: And like you said, with the whole popping off his nose and throwing it in,
1: <laughs> And then laughing maniacally as he does so. Claude Rains just has a fantastic voice. Yeah,
0: for sure. I I don't even know. You know what else I've seen him in? Didn't he play Dracula in something?
1: I think Son so. Son of
0: Dracula, something like that. I
1: yeah, his his uh, filmography is not coming to mind, but yeah, it's Claude Rains. I know we've seen him in a <coughs> bunch of stuff.
0: Years ago, I think it was Mezco, some toy company, made a toy of the Invisible Man. I remember seeing this in Toy Fair magazine when I was a kid, and it was like a 12-inch like, doll, and it had like, real clothes and everything, and it had a wrapped-up head, and if you removed the wrapping of his head, there was uh, Claude Rains. Like, it had his actual face, but it was invisible. It was like cast in clear plastic.
1: That's awesome. <laughs> that's fantastic. Actually, yeah, I don't
0: think that's the one I was looking at. But then, I, I just remember, I th- it looks like there's been a few others that have done that, but... The first one, I, I remember seeing it in Toy Fair Magazine in, like, the mid-90s, late-90s. I don't know. It was really cool. Oh, yeah, and did you ever see the toys that, that came out for the new Invisible Man movie? The, like, the Elizabeth Mo- Banks. Really? Or Elizabeth... What's her name? Moss. Elizabeth Moss. I almost said Banks. Yeah, these weren't... A f- like, these were created by the studio, but they were only sent to media outlets, because this was the action figure. <laughs> okay, that's pretty clever. <laughs> it's an Invisible Man, like, <laughs> box, like, an action figure box, and the tray that the toy comes in is just blank. <laughs> <laughs> nothing in it. Uh-huh. <laughs> I bet be that's cool. worth a shitload of money now. <laughs> Probably.
1: Yeah, considering how, the, uh, how well that movie was received. Yeah.
0: But yeah, I really like this take on the character of Griffin. I like how he is still a sociopath. Well, not a sociopath. He's kind of a psychopath, I guess. But he's also identifiable. You can uh, commiserate with him a little bit.
1: You can't. You understand why why he's an outsider, yeah. like, even if well, the invisibility particularly helps. But just <laughs> <laughs> he does have that uh, loner mentality, yeah. not in a cool rebel without a cause, nobody understands me type yeah. way, but as someone who is uh, uh, dealing with some dark stuff, to say the least.
0: Yeah. And I, I like how it's essentially a story about about connection, wanting to connect with another human being and having, in this case, you know, a physical manifestation that keeps people at arm's length and makes that an impossibility. That's something that's not there in the original story. Mm-hmm. The original story is literally just about an invisible guy who causes havoc and ha ha ha. <laughs> Isn't that crazy and funny? There's no real deeper subtext to that character in the text. Like, you have to kind of bring that to it if you want, I guess. <laughs> and so it's nice to see that at the forefront of this one.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but like there is no fiancé or love interest or the main character female in okay. the original story, is yeah. there? romantic lead. Yeah.
0: I don't believe so. I, I know that there are a lot of flashbacks in the book, but I think it's just all about his process of creating the invisibility. I remember one of my favorite things about the book is him talking about how dirty the streets are because he has to run around without shoes on, and that makes his feet dirty. And the dirtier his feet are, the easier it is for people to see him. So he has to constantly clean his feet. And, like, there's a whole flashback about him, like, discovering that or whatever. And then I uh, there, there's also... It goes into great detail about his whole process of submerging th- glass in water mm-hmm. deep enough to where you could get the point where the glass becomes invisible. And, like, that's the starting point on that. And I remember reading that, I mean, like, that's a lot more technically proficient than i would have expected in this story i was just like hey drink the glowing potion and it makes you fucking vanish the end
1: (laughs) (laughs) well exactly and i guess you could say that like i am obviously not a scientist and shocker there but uh what kind of makes hg wells you know why we hold him in such high regard today is that i think and someone out there is going to disagree with me, but I think he was one of the first, if not the first, to do stuff like that and be like, it's not a magical potion. This is what I think the process might be to become invisible. Now, let's talk about optics. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'm not willing to make any bold proclamations like that because I don't know my history of science fiction well enough. <laughs> I'm sure he was a pioneer in that regard, but I don't think he was first. I you bet might- it was Jules Verne.
1: You think so? I don't know. <laughs> any uh, english majors out there you know give us a heads up
0: <laughs> i bet it was victor appleton <laughs> oh, that's from 1911 never mind
1: <laughs> i was like wait a minute i i confess i have never read tom swift and his electric rifle
0: so do you know you know uh, what a taser is like bzz, <laughs>
1: yeah. you know mm-hmm.
0: do, you, do you know that taser is an acronym
1: i did not yeah
0: it literally stands for tom a swift's electric rifle it does not. I swear to God. It
1: doesn't really. Yes.
0: Because of this book, Tom Swift and his electric rifle. The creator of the Taser added the A in his name to make it actually say Taser. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, we learned something new today, folks. On the technological and historical and literary front.
0: Taser was initially abbreviating Tom A. Swift's electric rifle after the 1911 novel Tom Swift and his electric rifle been trademarked as a brand name of Axon. Came can formally use similar devices. Anyway, yeah, so it originally was a trademark name, and now it's just a generic term for, like, an electric bolt. All right, then. But, yeah, um, yeah Tom Swift, that was a, a character for, like, a, I don't know, late Victorian. I guess 1911 wasn't Victorian anymore. Um, just adventure fiction of the early 20th century. This boy adventurer, I guess. Huh?
1: See all the good tidbits we give you, folks.
0: And do you know why I know about Tom Swift?
1: (laughs) Why do you know about Tom Swift? League of Extraordinary Gentlemen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) In, I think it's the second, first or second volume of the Nemo spinoff. Tom Swift is in it as a villain. Does he have an electric rifle? I think so. (laughs) (laughs) He and his band of other ex-boy geniuses chase down Nemo as she and her crew... Find the Mountains of Madness from H.G. or H.G. Oh, Jesus, from H.P. Lovecraft. <laughs>
1: Lots of H's going yeah. right on. Huh. Was it a good one?
0: Yeah, it's was, it was one of my favorites. Because after the original League series, Mort and O'Neill did three Nemo spinoffs. It was Heart of Ice, Roses of Berlin, and River of Ghosts. And Heart of Ice was the first one with, uh, with Tom Swift. I think they had to change his, the spelling of his name, though. Or maybe not. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Charles Foster Kane was in it, too.
1: (laughs) That's awesome.
0: Kane recruits Jack Reed Jr., protagonist of dime novels, Jack Wright, hero of a popular series of Victorian science fiction dime novels, and Tom Swift to retrieve Aisha's treasure from the... Oh, yeah. And Aisha from... What's it called? She, I think. It's a book Mm -hmm. by H. Ryder Haggard. She's like this immortal goddess. Yeah, she, that's the name of it. Um, anyway, she's in it as well. Nemo ends up going to, like, the Mountains of Madness, finding Yagath and other creatures from that. Anyway, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a good one. I love all the fucking League stories. <laughs> but these are not Vertigo. <laughs> <laughs> Only the first two are, I think. Maybe Black Dossier. I don't know. <laughs> Who can keep track?
1: Vertigo has inspired so much. So it's easy to go down the rabbit trail onto something else. But it
0: hasn't inspired Alan Moore. <laughs>
1: no, it did not.
0: It hates <laughs> Which uh Which So I posted the Leave Extraordinary Gentlemen episode on, I don't know, whatever week that came out. And noticed after I posted it that it was Alan Moore's birthday. Oh. I fucking put that movie commentary out on Alan Moore's birthday. <laughs> I feel like such a fucking dick for doing that. <laughs>
1: Happy birthday, Mr. Moore!
0: Exactly. <laughs> I, like I literally, I posted on Twitter and we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then immediately after that, I saw two posts from Alan Moore's daughters, like v- wishing him happy birthday. <laughs> One of them had a picture of Alan Moore from a few years ago with her son playing on a playground. Oh. Which, is like, seeing old man Alan Moore like sitting on a on a teeter totter or something with that <laughs> little kid was very uh, charming, I guess. <laughs> and it made me feel really bad for busting that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, well, ha. Ah. Yeah, wasn't that the... We were talking about that in the commentary. Wasn't that the one that that ruined him on all future adaptations yeah, of his that, work?
0: he no longer puts his name on adaptations. He prefers that... Like, his current work that he does will never be adapted, as far as he's concerned. Mm-hmm. It's only old, older stuff that other people own are able to be adapted. Which is why we got, like, the Killing Joke movie, and Watchmen, and the Watchmen TV series... Which I felt so conflicted watching the Watchmen TV series
1: because it's really good, right? Yeah, because I fucking loved it.
0: <laughs> but at the same time, I was like, I know that the fact that this exists just is like a dagger in his
1: back. <laughs> <laughs> so, did, has he ever come out and said that he didn't like the series? I know he didn't like. He doesn't like. The he movies. won't watch
0: it. He refuses to watch any adaptations. I, I it doesn't matter if it's good or not. The fact that he got screwed over from royalties for that, and like he's he's not gonna. Not going to say anything about it, I guess.
1: His hands are washed. Mm. Fair enough.
0: And I think that whole experience has just made him more cantankerous and like angry about comics. Because now, every once in a while, he'll do an interview and somebody will ask him about superhero comics. And he's like, they're bullshit for kids and they're stupid and you're stupid. Moving on.
1: (laughs) Oh, dear. And every
0: time that comes up, then there's this huge flurry of like, oh, and Moore's such an asshole. He hates comic books and blah, blah, blah. He's an old man. He has every right. Just move on. Yeah, leave him alone. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Stop fucking asking him about Watchmen. You think he wants to talk about this? Right. Christ. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. No one knows about the process better than him. Yeah.
0: One of my friends loves talking about Alan Moore apparently having a rivalry with Grant Morrison. Evidently, like in the mid-90s, they were butting heads all the time. I don't know. They're both crazy wizards. (laughs) (laughs) I, I have no idea. But, um... Evidently, there was, was like, constant back and forth between them, taking shots at each other in interviews, and Grant Morrison being like, well, he just likes me, or he just hates me because I'm the young him, and Alan Moore being like, you fucking wish, you bitch!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Drama, drama.
0: That is, of course, a direct (laughs)
1: quote. Absolutely. (laughs) I have no idea. (laughs) Oh, Back in the day when this stuff played out in articles and you had to go look for it as opposed to, like, Twitter.
0: (laughs) Well, one of my favorite things about Grant Morrison – let me see if I can find this real quick. has nothing to do with his work or anything. Back in 2008 – so if you just Google search Grant Morrison, there's a picture in, like, a grayish suit Mm -hmm. with a Starbucks in the background. This picture, oh, it's his Wikipedia profile picture. This picture is from San Diego Comic Con 2008.
1: And you were. There, so you?
0: I'm like right behind this guy. <laughs> that right there is my girlfriend at the time, Emily. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's. The elite needs to get out of the yeah, way. <laughs> exactly.
0: And so there's these two like, guys in red uh, shirts, like, I don't know, security or whatever, standing behind him. And my ex-girlfriend is right between them, like perfectly positioned right between them, looking down. And the funny thing is, so that's Starbucks. I'm in line at Starbucks like right here, right behind (laughs) the red security guy. And right next to me is J.G. Jones, who's a comic book artist who worked with Grant Morrison on a few things. At the time, they were um, pushing Final Crisis, I think. They worked together on that. And J.G. Jones was buying coffee at the Starbucks, and I was in line right behind him. And I remember seeing his, his uh, like, lanyard, and I was like, J.G. Jones, holy shit, that's the artist for, because I had no idea what he looked like. Obviously, everyone knows what Grant Morrison looks like, so if I'd seen him, I would have freaked out. But, yeah, it's, just, it's hilarious that I was right there when this photo was taken. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that's kind of cool. Yeah. If I was Emily, I would totally have that photo in my personal collection. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like there's me, and there's Grant Morrison. <laughs> that's that's fun. Oh, right on.
0: So okay, that's another fucking diversion. <laughs> I get Grant Morrison's written Vertigo stuff. It's okay to talk about him.
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Anything else about the nobody that you feel is important to bring up, or that you know stuck with you?
0: I think. Nobody should pass it by.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I agree. I agree. Um, It's, again, the only nitpick I have is that if you read the cover and you go into this thinking it's going to be about, you know, in-depth small-town life and how rumors affect people and how, you know, um, just the the minutiae of small-town drama, it's really not that. But like you said, it is about connection. It is about a very iconic character that still is going strong today. And that you should make yourself familiar with.
0: Um, that reminds me, we didn't really talk about it, but the the in, recent Invisible Man movie. Did that come out in 2019 or 2020?
1: I think it came out this year. Ah, wow,
0: that's weird. It feels like a million years ago. Right? <laughs> um, you saw that, didn't you? Yes. Okay, what did you think?
1: I loved it. Yeah. I lo- I uh, I am sure I'm not the first to say this, but I'm going to say it again because it bears repeating. That is how Universal should have gone from the very beginning of doing their quote-unquote dark universe.
0: The funny thing about that, in 2017 when the Mummy reboot came out, fucking colossal failure that everyone knew was going to be a failure like nobody nobody looked at that and thought that's a great idea <laughs> right. Right. so i don't know how that even got made but i remember having a discussion with bear about that and him saying well, why are they wasting 200 million dollars on this they could make four movies for that get bloomhouse to produce them and just make small uh, scary horror movies, and then if they want to connect them eventually, then then they can. Mm-hmm. And and then what? Two years later, after the failure of the second attempt of the Dark Universe, actually third, if you count Van Helsing. <laughs> oh, yes, I forgot about that one. Yeah. <laughs> so after failing this franchise multiple times. Universal was finally like, fuck it, just give it to Blue Mouse and (laughs) let them do a small budget one. (laughs) And it was funny because as soon as, like, one of the ones that we threw around, Bear has a huge affinity for Creature from the Black Lagoon. So that's the one that he pitched, like his little elevator pitch about, like, a Mm -hmm. low-budget Creature from the Black Lagoon movie. And I was like, no, you got to go with the Invisible Man, of course. So then when they announced the Invisible Man, I was like, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Called it. I really liked it as well. My only complaint with the movie, and this is, I guess, a spoiler, is that it's a suit. Mm. Yeah. So technically speaking, anyone can be the Invisible Man. That is true. And that's kind of how it ends. <laughs> and so that, I think, diminishes the, the threat mm. of Griffin and also his own mental state. You know, like The fact that you're supposed to be watching this man um, kind of unravel because of his condition... I guess I I don't know, and that's not that's not something that necessarily is needed for the story. I guess, but I just I like I like the idea of the cost of that technology. You know, when there's no cost associated with it, I don't think it's as powerful.
1: That's a good point. I guess you could say that because of the metaphor for gaslighting and domestic violence yeah. like the cost is shifted that's because true griffin's really not the main character it's uh what was her name in the movie elizabeth moss sylvia, sylvia? Uh, anyway yeah
0: new character new character
1: <laughs> yes not in the novel so like from the beginning like just from the first opening scenes like we know right away that this is a bad man yeah and true. but he's also incredibly powerful he's incredibly wealthy no no one will believe her. Yeah. And why would you, you know? It's like, she's like, no, this guy's still alive, and only I can see him, and then everyone's telling yeah. her that, no, he's dead.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I, I hadn't considered that, like, aspect of it. It is kind of the the core of the story, and I think that's an interesting shift. There's something about the suit, though, that throws me.
1: A little bit. Because it's
0: called bit. the Invisible Man, not the Invisible Suit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> Details matter!
0: And I remember I remember watching the trailer... And the trailer implies, like the first teaser trailer, implies that it's a ghost.
1: Mm-hmm. And i
0: been watching it, and being like, "Fucking like, hold on now, <laughs> a dead person that comes back and is like moving shit around the house, like that's just a ghost. It's not anything special." And then by the end of the trailer, like, oh okay, there there's like a hint that oh he was working on this optical thing that makes you not be seen. I'm like, okay, all right, you got me again. I'm back.
1: <laughs> I will concede. No. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's I didn't think about that either. From the teaser trailer, it's like, this is like paranormal activity yeah, with a better exactly. budget. <laughs> yeah. But um I really would like to see if they're gonna keep going forward with these classical movie monsters. Then yes, please just keep up just really well thought out individualized storytelling. Don't worry about making a goddamn universe. Yeah. Yeah.
0: No, they got a dark universe, man. They really got to sell it. They're going to do a Marvel thing but with vampires and
1: And I don't mean Mr. To be-
0: Hyde. Exactly.
1: <laughs> and I don't mean to be rude or ageist, but it's like it's a with the exception of Sophia Botella, it's a bunch of fucking guys in their yeah. mid to late 50s. You
0: know? And, and they go into great pains to make sure that Tom Cruise's character is called a young man multiple times in that movie.
1: And he's like, <laughs> what, a year older than Russell Crowe, I think?
0: Uh, I thought he was Russell Crowe's grandpa, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> and Russell Crowe's old as shit. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> and it's like, you know, I like Tom Cruise. I, I do. And I appreciate the dedication that he puts yeah. into action movies um you don't see it a lot anywhere else yeah and i think it's because he's such a big star and he does have the money and he does have the backing so he can see the the cool stunts that he brings to the screen but at the same time yeah that felt like a tom cruise vanity project like (laughs) for
0: sure yeah exactly and i I really like his stunt work and i I, i like that about him but i think he's a terrible fit for a horror movie
1: right Right. Well, as as evidence, because it wasn't a horror movie, it became an action yeah, movie. A
0: globe trotting, ac- yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and even the stunts in that, there's a lot of like stunt work that he did. On, did that. There's a lot of stunt work that he did on his own in that, but you can't tell because it's shot so poorly. Right. It's not like I mean they they didn't have the steady hand of Christopher McQuarrie in a Mission Impossible movie that can show the action flow logically and cleanly
1: <laughs> exactly there's a lot of people being tossed on wires yeah. and there's a lot of uh, running
0: and i think that's a result of tom cruise specifically hiring a director that he could bully <laughs> you know like a director that he could just say no do it this way and, and when you've got a director without a clear voice and um clear vision with somebody like tom cruise they're just going to get steamrolled
1: that's a good point yeah and, and yeah yeah I think I think that is what probably ended up happening, alas alack.
0: So the mummy 2017 <laughs> is that a vertigo or a vertigo
1: <laughs> I think that was a WGF. <laughs> Everyone was just like, "What is this? Why I, is this?" I watched
0: that back to back with the 1999 mummy. Oh yes, which is still a fun action romp.
1: I don't know why that movie gets. So much crap. I don't
0: think it does anymore. The sequels, not. the sequels were fucking Dumb. terrible. Oh. <laughs> but the, the original was just such a great, like old timey Indiana Jonesy action horror movie, and it still had enough horror elements in it to m- genuinely feel scary. Right. Like, I don't think the new Mummy really had any horror in it.
1: No, no. Um, the 1999 version, ah, of course, I can't remember the name of the genre, but it's like, um, oh, it's like. Gunga Den, you know, with Cary Grant. It's, yeah, a little bit cheesy, a little bit over the top, but it knows that. And so it's a blast.
0: Well, I just, yeah, it was like the spiritual successor of Indiana Jones.
1: Yes, that's a good way to describe it. A
0: better fourth Indiana Jones movie than the fourth Indiana Jones movie. (laughs) Indeed.
1: (laughs) It's no
0: fridge nuking at all.
1: (laughs) Or Shia LaBeouf in the wild.
0: Swinging with monkeys. (laughs) Meeting a monkey with a pompadour haircut. There was a monkey with a pompadour haircut in Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Lest you forget.
1: <laughs> I my, some part of my brain just blanked that out. I can't remember that.
0: Well, now you're going to see it.
1: Oh. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> It's gonna be like that. Those scenes in movies where the bad guy whispers something into someone's ear and they just go crazy.
0: Yeah, this is gonna be a Lovecraftian. <laughs> go crazy when you see it. Yeah. There it is. Pompadour <gasps> monkey. He's no, like, what?
1: You have my hair. <laughs> no. There they are hanging out. Oh my god. And the podcast just ends with a horrendous scream and a crashing sound, and that's it.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Ron fucking run!
0: <laughs> cursed image if I've ever seen one.
1: Jesus Christ. He <laughs> oh. got
0: mutton chops and everything.
1: He yeah. does. He's got um oh he's got John Travolta's hair from Greece. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> oh
0: no. That was a thing. That happened. That 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 was that was on. Movie screens, <laughs> millions of people just just watched that.
1: We did. God save us, we did. <laughs> wow, I I totally blanked that out because I think by that point, um, I was just kind of crestfallen, yeah. and I was with my brother, who's a tremendous Indiana Jones fan, and I kept looking over to him, and like, he started out with the face of a a late twenty something, and by the end of that movie, he looked like he was forty five. <laughs> you know? was
0: a wizened old man. <laughs> yeah.
1: I think his exact summation of the film was, fuck this.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And lived the entirety of Titanic. And uh, (laughs) went from young Kate Winslet to that old lying lady that threw the priceless jewel into the
1: water. (laughs) Oh, hey. And uh, to come back to the Invisible Man, she was uh, uh, Griffin's love interest in the movie. Oh, really? Yeah. That's her. Old Rose. Old Rose. Look at that.
0: I I actually knew that. I planned that.
1: (laughs) Well done. (laughs) I did. I (laughs) did. Very smooth.
0: <laughs> um, okay, so the nobody. I'm gonna say vertigo.
1: I'm going to say vertigo as well. I thought VertiSlow for a little while because it, it there were some things that I was like, well, this doesn't seem as dramatic as I think he would like us to feel. But on the whole, it's a very you know, it's a very compelling book. It's a really interesting book. It's well drawn. Read
0: it. Yeah, if this was five years ago, I would have been like, fuck that. But um, yeah, I like it. And I again I really like Jeff Lemire's work, and I hope someday we can talk about Sweet Tooth and hopefully when that show is made we can watch it as well.
1: That's gonna start filming next year, is it? I don't know. I have no
0: idea. I don't know, I don't know when it's gonna be filming. And it's produced by Robert Downey Jr. and and it's uh, on gonna be on Netflix.
1: I think I read somewhere, to, speaking of news. I think I read somewhere that, yes, uh, Jeff Lemire said it was going to start filming in 2021.
0: Nice. Net- Netflix has been quite the repository for Vertigo stuff.
1: Which is great. Yeah,
0: between Sandman and the Lucifer, and maybe we can get a Books of Magic series out of them.
1: It couldn't hurt. Yeah. Come on, Netflix. <laughs> you guys seem to be the only ones, you know, besides a... Uh, Maybe HBO Max
0: that's putting out. <laughs> HBO Max uh, can't afford that. They're spending seventy million dollars on Justice League.
1: So <laughs> that's right. Okay. <laughs>
0: All right, uh, end of the show time. Like and subscribe, share, and fucking get it out there. Uh, um, <laughs> follow on Twitter at Vertigo Voices and Instagram Vertigo Voices. I didn't ask that time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I can email us Voices at gmail.com speaking of let's see changes to YouTube's terms of service
1: oh
0: boy <laughs> <laughs> alright no good emails this week <laughs> 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 and then no special thanks still
1: <laughs> <laughs> someday we have hopes
0: actually I did get a special Here's a special thanks this goes out to my sister Kaylin who uh, sent me screenshot of her car
1: what a good sister
0: (laughs) and she said how did I never recognize your radio voice
1: (laughs) (laughs) well thank you Kaylin.
0: (laughs) also a quick shout out I'll do another shout out I said no shout outs but I lied Um, shout out to uh, my friend Chris who just had a little baby boy oh it happened yeah his girlfriend Val had the baby um, little Max.
1: Oh. Yeah. Welcome, Max. I got to
0: meet Max the other day. Brought him over some diapers. <laughs> Alright.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah, welcome to the world, Max. Hopefully next year's better than this one.
1: You're <laughs> here, here. Congratulations, <laughs> Val and Chris.
0: <laughs> yeah. max it is it'll only get better.
1: <laughs> right. Right. Hang in there, buddy. <laughs> until then enjoy the diapers <laughs>
0: all right are we done i think we're done that's the end of the show and what do we say when we sign off
1: keep reading keep listening we'd love to hear from you well i would i don't know about colby but
0: <laughs> this, did you not get my email about the sign off the new sign off we do a little dance and then we go and that's how the verdict goes
1: <laughs> you didn't teach me the choreography <laughs>
0: That's how the learning goes. See oh, you guys wow. next week. That's, a, that's dumb.